Acts chapter number 19 this morning. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. Acts chapter number 19, verse number 1. The holy inspired word of God says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And by the way, those disciples have established churches and they're still living today, amen? But uh, verse 3 says, And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered, and I want you to notice this carefully, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit it was leaped on them, and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Let's read verse number 15 once more. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd ask that you glorify yourself in the service this morning. Father, we thank you for all of the blessings that you bestowed upon us, the way you've already met with us in the song service, in the altar of prayer, in the fellowship, in the prayers that have been offered up, in the tithes that have been given. Oh, God, you've been all over everything that's taken place, and we thank you for it. We ask, Father, that you'd intervene in these special needs that have been mentioned this morning. Lord, you know those needs uh, far greater than we do, and we ask that you would meet them according to your will. Now, Lord, we pray you'd be present in this service in power, Lord, and in in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. God, that you gain the glory out of what's accomplished. Uh, meet those needs, Father, and help us to give you the praise that's due your name. We ask it, Lord, in the precious and majestic name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
We have a very interesting story in Acts chapter number 19. I think this is probably one of my favorite stories in the Word of God. It's a little bit humorous if you think about it, but there's some serious spiritual truths that are taught in this passage. Paul is working at Ephesus and he's ministering and God's using him in a mighty way. The Bible says that there were these vagabond Jews, vagabond exorcists, uh, that had been casting out demons or calling over men that had demons or devils within them. And and uh, trying to uh, exercise those devils by the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that they had heard Paul doing this, and they had seen Paul doing this, and they said, well, you know, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And they tried to use the name of Jesus like an abracadabra and open sesame. Could I say there's a lot of us, that's what our prayer lives have become. We, we've called the name of Jesus just like it's abracadabra, and we've tried to take the divine will and bend it to our finite will and make God our errand boy. Let me tell you, brother, that's not what prayer is this morning. Prayer is the means through which our will is submitted to the will of God. Prayer is the means through which the power of God is manifest in our life. Prayer is the means through which God accomplishes His work in this world that we live in. But these Jews decided that'd be a good idea, so they come up to this man... Uh, that had evil spirits in him. And uh, they said, We adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. The Bible says that uh, this man in whom the evil spirit was looked at him and made a very interesting statement. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are ye? Now the thing that gives me much interest this morning is not so much that they said, Jesus I know. The Bible says in the book of James that the spirits, that the devils also believe and tremble. There's no question that uh, that the devil knows who Jesus Christ is. But the thing that interests me this morning is that these evil spirits within this man said, Paul, I know. They knew who the apostle Paul was. They were aware of his ministry. They were aware of his work. They were aware of his relationship with Christ. They knew who Paul was. Was I wonder why that is. Let me give you a few names that you might know. Some of you that have just a couple more years on you may know them very well. Some of the youngsters may have just heard one or two or a few of them or just know them in passing. But if I was to say the name John Dillinger, most of you would know who I'm talking about. Famous Robert. Uh, if I was to say the name Al Capone, most of you know who that name is, old Scarface. If I was to say the name Machine Gun Kelly, some of the youngsters might not know, but some of you that are older would. Or the name Pretty Boy Floyd, you'd know who those names are. If I was to say the name Clyde Barrow, uh, some of you don't know that name off the top of your head. But then if I was to say the name Bonnie Parker, and you was to combine them, you'd know the name Bonnie and Clyde. You'd know who these people are. You ever wonder why it is that you do know who they are? Uh, all of these people have something in common. They were all at one time or another known as public enemy number one. They were known because of the threat that they were to society. I could use more modern names like Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein, and you know those names, but the reason that you know them is not because of how much you love them or admire them. You know them because of the threat that they have been to you. Could I propose to you that this is the very same reason that these evil spirits knew the name of Paul the Apostle? I, I kind of tend to believe, and you just allow me to have a little sanctified imagination. I don't know if the devil has a public enemy number one list. 
But if he did, I would imagine that when Paul walked this earth in this short sojourn and was used of God in the way that he was, I kind of imagine that the name Paul the Apostle would have been somewhere near the top. There's other petty criminals that we don't know the names of. There's names I could throw out to you that you would not know. And then there's multitudes of names that I do not know of regular petty criminals and petty thieves. And they may do a little bit of robbing here, a little bit of stealing here. They may do a little bit of crime here and there, but we don't know who they are. Do you know why that is? Because they don't threaten our everyday life. They're not a big threat to us personally. Uh, we typically don't associate their names with infamy or brutality. But then there are those names that are such a threat that they are emblazoned upon the minds of a nation. Can I say to you that it ought to be every Christian's desire to be on the devil's public enemy list. It ought to be the heart's desire of every Christian to be the type of person that when they roll out of the bed, the devil knows it. It ought to be the heart's desire for every Christian that they cause so many problems for the devil that he knows them by name. Can I say to you that most, most of us are just doing our best to get up after we've been knocked down. I heard a little analogy given. I'll share it with you. Uh, it's football time in Tennessee. Amen. Uh, it's not Gamecock time in Tennessee, but it's football time in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I heard a little analogy one time that reminds me of this. Uh, they say that there was a time when a football coach had gotten a new recruiter on his staff. And he was talking to this recruiter and he was saying, you know, what kind of players do you think we ought to be looking for? He's testing this recruiter. And uh, that coach said, well, uh, you know, what kind of players are the kinds that you're going to be going after for my team? And that recruiter said, well, you know, coach, there's several different kinds of football players. He said, well, what do you mean, son? He said, well, coach, there's the type of player that when he gets knocked down, he don't ever get up. That recruiter said, that's not the kind of player we're looking for, is it, coach? Coach said, no, son, that's not who we're looking for. And then that recruiter said, well, you know, coach, and I've seen other players that they get knocked down and they get back up. And they get knocked down and they get back up. And they get knocked down and they get back up. But after enough times of getting knocked down, they're just going to stay down. And he looked at the coach, he said, coach, that's not the kind of player we're looking for, is it? He said, no, son, that's not the kind we're looking for. And then he said, but you know, coach, every once in a while I've seen that type of player. That he gets knocked down and gets right back up. And knocked down and gets right back up. And over and over and over and over again. No matter how many times he gets knocked down, he gets back up. He said, Coach, that's who we're looking for, isn't it? Coach said, no, son. He said, we're looking for that boy doing all the knocking down. Amen. <laughs> that's who we're trying to get a hold of. It's good to be getting back up, but isn't it nice to give the devil a black eye every now and then? I mean, it's good to be the type of Christian. I'm not saying we need to pick a fight with the devil. You understand that. But I'm saying it's one thing to be defensive. It's another thing to be offensive in our Christian life. It's one thing to be the type of Christian that's just willing to get back up when they're knocked over. It's another thing to be the kind that's ready. They're not, they're not holding the fort. They're charging ahead. They're the type that's not just passively trying to survive. They're the type that's trying to gain ground in this war that's going on. I believe Paul was that type of Christian. I believe that's why the devil knew his name. I believe the devil knew his name because he was a threat to him. There's some people that the devil don't know their name because he ain't worried about them. Amen? I mean, we used to, when I was a youth pastor, and we'd be talking to the kids and preaching to the kids, we'd always tell them, you know, any old dead fish can float downstream. It don't take nothing to go the way of the world. It's easy to go the way of the world. But now if you're going to stand up and do something for Jesus Christ, that's going to take some backbone. Most people are just trying to tread water. They're not trying to move forward. They're not trying to advance. Hey, where's your Christian life at today versus where it was a year ago? Where is your walk with Christ at? Are you just treading water? Have you lost ground or are you trying to push ahead?
The Apostle Paul was this type of man. These seven uh, sons of Siva were not these types of men. They were no threat to Satan. They were no threat to this evil spirit. You say, how do you know that? Because the evil spirit leapt upon them. He wasn't scared of them. If that had been Paul, it would have been a different story. But because it was them, it didn't mean anything. What was so special about Paul? As we read this chapter in, in Acts chapter 19, these few verses, there's a few things that, I, that strike me that I'm interested by. A few reasons that I believe the apostle Paul was known by name according to the devil. Could I say to you uh, that I believe one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was known by the devil was because of his association with the Son of God. Do you know that there's no one in this world more powerful or the world to come than the Son of God? I mean, there's no... The Bible says that all power is given unto Him. Thine is the power in the kingdom. It's all unto Him. He's more powerful than anything. He's more powerful. He spoke the devil into existence. He wasn't the devil at that time. He was Lucifer. But he spoke him into existence. If he wanted to, he could speak him out. Let me tell you something. The devil is a dangerous character. But our Lord and Savior has already gained victory over him. We've got a powerful Savior. And it's interesting that the association given. uh, the, The Spirit could have just said, Paul, I know. But instead it prefaced it by saying, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. I believe it was because Paul spent so much time with the Son of God. I know that he didn't spend a whole lot of time with him in his earthly sojourn here. I understand that uh, probably Paul was around whenever Christ's ministry was taking place. He was of age to be anyways. Uh, But I understand that Paul did not walk and talk with the Lord in the flesh uh, like me or like the apostles had, the other disciples. But it didn't change the fact that uh, the work of God was evident all over Paul's life. It's interesting as you read this, and I'm not a big Greek person, I'm a big redneck person, amen, but uh, it's interesting that two different words are used for these two different no's. When it says, Jesus, I know, that's a different word than when it says, Paul, I know. The word that's used concerning the Son of God is the word genoska. It means to know by experience. In other words, these demons, when they said, Jesus, I know, they were saying, we've had some run-ins with this Jesus. I don't know when it might have been. It could have been. I mean, we know that whenever uh, Christ cast the demons out of the uh, maniac of Gadara, that they were sent into a herd of swine, and that herd of swine ran headlong off of a cliff. I would assume that those demons were not annihilated. I'm sure that they went and caused mischief and problems somewhere. It could have been these are the very same demons. We don't know. It could have been when he cast the demon out of the young man that uh, was being wallowing and, and being torn and had been cast off into the fire and off into the water. It could have been that this was one of the, I do not know. Uh, but I know when they said, I know him, they said, I've been around him. I've seen it. I've experienced what it's like to see the work of the Son of God. That's what that devil was saying. He said, when I see Paul's life, I see the handprint of God upon it. I can tell he's the real deal. Let me tell you something. You know, they always say that you can't fool dogs and children. You ever heard that before? Cannot fool dogs and children. Do you know that you may not be the real deal to those around you, but the devil knows whether you are or not? Why do you think he said to Peter, uh, our Lord said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, the separating of the genuine from that which is false and from that which is artificial. That was the process when they would sift wheat. They would take that wheat, they would throw it up into the air many times, they'd step on it, Uh, they'd put it through the ringer, because that which was heavy and that which had substance would drop to the ground first and they could separate the chaff. Uh, You know what Christ was saying to Peter? He was saying, the devil knows you. And he thinks he can trick you and he thinks he can deceive you. He's wanting to see if you're the real deal or not. 
I believe that these devils said, I don't know about you seven boys, but I know that Christ is the real deal. And I know that Paul is the real deal. I believe there are a few reasons that they would say this. You know, you may not, you may believe differently about this. I believe there's a spiritual battle taking place around us at all times. I believe there is a spiritual realm. It is not a, fa- uh, a fantasy realm. It, it is not any less real than the realm that you and I live within. It's not seen. It's spiritual, but it's real. It's not uh, imaginary. It's not a fairy tale. I believe there is a spiritual battle taking place at all times. I, I believe that God is aware of what's taking place, but I believe that the devil is aware of what's taking place as well. I believe God has a will for your life, but I believe the devil has a will for your life as well. And I believe, I believe, I believe that when they looked at Paul's life, they could tell some things was real. I think because of his transformation. You're telling me when when Paul said, I persecuted the church, I laid waste to it. Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners. You're telling me the devil didn't know his name before he became Paul the Apostle? You're telling me the devil didn't know his name when he was Saul of Tarsus? I believe the devil knew who Paul was at that time. I mean, I believe, I believe if we could put it in elementary terms, uh, when he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners, we might say that Paul was the captain on the devil's team. I mean, he was one of the chief ones that the devil was using to persecute the church and to carry out his will. I do not know how close of an association that Paul may have had. I do know this. Religion is not necessarily an antidote for occultism and Satanism. There's plenty of people that are religious that Satan is using in a deeply real and, listen to me, a personal way. There's a lot of people that the power that they think they have through religion, I believe, is nothing more than satanic power. I believe a lot of the power that Paul had before he got saved. Hey, chiefest of sinner, I believe that the devil had his hand on Paul before Paul got saved. But then, you know, I think there was a lot of people on that road that day. I know Paul was there. I know the men accompanying were. I kind of think that the devil may have been keeping tabs on Paul. You say, preacher, you're just making that up. Common sense dictates if he's the chiefest of sinners, the devil knows what's going on in his life. I believe that the devil saw what happened that day on the road to Damascus. I believe the devil saw what took place. God shined a light from heaven and blinded his self-righteous eyes and knocked him off of his high horse of independence. I believe that the devil saw what took place that day when this vile persecutor, this man that was brutal and vicious, this man that sought nothing more than for the blood of Christians to be shed, when he saw him fall off his horse, his eyes be blinded, him look towards heaven and him say, What wilt thou have me to do, O Lord? I think the devil saw that. I think the devil saw the transformation. I think the devil saw what had taken place in Paul's life. And I think the devil says, you know, that Jesus, that looks like his work in his life. I believe not only his transformation, but his testimony. All the things that Paul had been through, through his life. I believe that the devil could look at it and could say, you know, that's the hand of God upon him. We may be blind to the hand of God. That doesn't mean that the devil is. The devil is keenly aware of God's plan. Do you know that? And that is evident because as you study the Old Testament, you find time and time again that the devil sought to interrupt God's redemptive plan. Time and time. Why do you think it was? Hey, why do you think it was that the Pharaoh wanted all of the children, uh, all of the male children murdered? God was trying to interrupt the redemptive plan. Or Satan was trying to interrupt the redemptive plan of God. 
What do you think it was uh, that caused Abraham to go in unto Hagar, his handmaid, to try to cause some type of doubt, to try to throw some shadow of disbelief upon the Messiah's lineage in the Old Testament? Satan knows God's plan. He's tried to disrupt it too many times. And I kind of believe that Satan could see the hand of God in the life of Paul, too. Don't paint Satan as just the ultimately fallen creature. He is vicious. He is deliberate. He is deceptive. He knows his end. He knows his destruction. He seeks to destroy others because of that. It's not that the devil is just terribly misguided. He's extremely deliberate. And I think he could look at Paul's life and he could see that God's hand was at work. He could see this man that had been a vile persecutor now authoring 14 books of the New Testament. He could see this man that had once traveled far and wide seeking to destroy Christians, now traveling far and wide seeking to win people to Christ and establish churches and see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread unto the farther ends of the world. I think he could look at the testimony. He said, you know, that's got to be God in Paul's life. I believe not only because of that, but because of Paul's time spent with Christ. We talked about a little bit this morning uh, about in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, the, the wisdom and power of God. And we may touch on that here in just a moment. Uh, but you know, in Acts chapter number 4, the Bible says concerning James and, or Peter and John that when they saw their boldness, they took knowledge uh, that they were unlearned and ignorant men and they took knowledge they knew they had been with Jesus. You won't find someone in the New Testament much more bold than Jesus or than uh, than Paul the Apostle. Boldness comes from time spent with Jesus Christ. If a pastor does not have the backbone he needs, it's because he's not spending time with Christ. If a a Christian in his public testimony doesn't have the backbone that he or she needs to have, it's because they've not been spending time with Jesus Christ. Those that spend time with Christ are supernaturally endowed and empowered with a boldness to stand for Him. What did he say? He said, abide in me and I shall abide in you. And he's not saying if you don't spend time with me, you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying if you abide with me, I will give you the power that you need to have to be a witness to those that are around you. I believe they looked at Paul's boldness and they said, I can tell he spent time with the Savior. I can tell by his devotion. I can tell by his commitment. I can tell by his fervor and his passion in the cause of Christ. I can tell that he spent time with Jesus Christ. I think they knew it, first of all, because of his association with the Son of God. But let me give you a second thing. I think they knew it because of his proclamation of the Word of God. That's what saturates the whole uh, chapter that we've read, uh, Acts chapter number 19. And that first word that's used, genosco, deals with the idea of knowing by experience. But when it says Paul, I know, it's a little bit different. It's the word uh, epistema. And it's the Greek word it means to know by observing. There's some things we know by experience, and there's some things we know because we've seen it. And whenever they say, Paul, I know, they say, we have experienced the power and work of Christ in casting us out of people. But we have observed the power and work of Christ in the life of the Apostle Paul. I believe when they saw the Apostle Paul proclaiming the word of God, I believe that that hell took notice of it, don't you? Let me tell you something, there's nothing more powerful than the word of God at our disposal. Nothing more powerful. 
There's nothing that upsets the devil more than when the Word of God is given and preached and spread and shared and employed and applied to our everyday lives. There is nothing that... Hey, whenever Christ was tempted of the devil, He could have spoken Him out of existence. He could have barred Him in prisons and in chains. One day, hallelujah, He will bar Him in chains and throw Him in a bottomless pit. But He did not do that. Instead, He relinquished all of the abilities of His deity and He he quoted the word of God to the devil. Isn't that interesting? It sounds to me like it upsets the devil pretty bad when the word of God is being given. I think that's one of the reasons the devil knew him. I think for a lot of reasons. First off, because I think of soul winning. You see it in the first few verses of this chapter. Uh, whenever Paul came to Ephesus, he found a group of disciples there. And uh, they had never received the Holy Ghost because they had never believed on Jesus Christ. Don't try to spiritualize what took place in this passage. If you're just believing on John the Baptist, that's not going to get you to heaven. They had to believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so he goes and he seeks these disciples out. And he asks them, says, have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, we've not so much as heard whether they be a Holy Ghost. There's a lot of churches like that today. You know it. But they said, we've not even heard if he exists. He said, well, how were you baptized? So we're baptized with John's baptism. He said, well, that's your problem. John can't get you to heaven. It's got to be the person of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that saves you. The thing that interests me. Paul went to people individually, deliberately. We might use the terminology confrontational, although we do not mean obstinate when we say that, but we mean dealing with them directly about their soul. The first thing Paul did when he got there is he sought an opportunity to witness to people. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't mind your life as much as long as you're not giving the gospel out. Can I say that again? The devil does not get that upset about a church until they start giving the gospel out. The devil does not get that upset about a Christian until they start giving the gospel out. You mark her down. Look at it in your life. If you start giving the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ out, it won't be long before he comes knocking on your door and wanting to know why you're disrupting his plans. We see it through soul winning, but we see it through strengthening. Paul did something that he loved to do. He went into the synagogues and he began to teach and to dispute. You see, he had led these uh, disciples to the Lord, these 12 people to the Lord. Now, not only was there soul winning, but there had to be some strengthening take place. I'll tell you, the greatest failure in evangelism today is the failure to disciple. There is an absolute vacuum of discipleship in the church today. There's those that do not lead people to the Lord at all, but even of those that lead people to the Lord. Hey, listen. You know, I'm getting ready to have a baby here soon. I'm not. My wife is. Let me clarify that. I'm getting ready to have a baby soon. Do you know my, my job as a daddy has not ended when that baby is born? It has just begun. You know, you lead someone to the Lord, your job is not over. It has just begun. It is your responsibility. Listen to me carefully. It is not your church's responsibility or your pastors or your friends. Now, they all play a part in it and praise the Lord for that. But it is your responsibility to befriend and to disciple that person that you've led to the Lord. And there's times it's not feasible or possible. There's times when we give a gospel track out, we never even hear that a person has gotten saved. They just get saved. There's times that uh, that we may uh, lead someone to the Lord and immediately they move away or something takes place, something changes in their life. I'm aware of that. But with all that is within our reach, it is our responsibility 
to reach them and to make disciples of them is the New Testament language that's used. It's our responsibility to do that. I believe that the devil does not mind. Listen, how would it bother us? Let's say we had an invading army, Canada, because one day it's going to happen. You know it is. Let's say it's going to be Canada. You go up there, you can hear them at night sharpening their ice skates, getting ready, you know. But let's say, let's say it's Canada, and Canada has determined they're going to attack us, and we have a 20-year plan to try to defeat Canada, 20-minute plan to try to defeat Canada. And uh, we found out that uh, we were going to go to war, let's say in 20 years, but we found out that all of their infants that were being born, all of the babies that were being born, what if we found out that they were taking those infants somewhere out in the wild and setting them down and then just going and living their life and never tending to them or taking care of them? You know that that country would not be a big threat to us? Because we would understand that as the process of time goes on, eventually all of the older generation is going to die off and you're going to have a bunch of helpless infants that have died out in the wild and are completely unable to defend themselves. Let me tell you something. That's what's happening when we're winning people to Christ and not discipling them. The devil does not mind until we start strengthening believers, getting people ready for the fight and ready for the battle. That's what upsets him. The Bible gives us another thought. It not only in soul winning, which is vitally important, in strengthening, which must accompany soul winning, but we see the idea of saturating. The Bible says that all they in Asia had heard the word of the Lord Jesus after Paul was done. You know, you can't witness to the wrong person. You might be able to witness in the wrong spirit. Uh, you might even be able to witness at the wrong time. But those that are saved ought to be blessed by you witnessing, and those that are lost need it whether they recognize it or not. I'm not advocating being ugly or unkind. I think you know me well enough to know that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. I think it's the responsibility of believers to saturate those around them with the Word of God. I believe that we do too much of it on our own instead of allowing the Word of God to do the work in the lives of those that are around us that it can and that it will do. I believe it put a dent in Satan's plan, what Paul was doing. I mean, I believe that, listen, there's some of us that if you took everything we've ever done for Jesus Christ, lumped it all together in a ten-minute period, it wouldn't even cause the devil to sneeze. But for the Apostle Paul, for this short period of time, it didn't take him long. And by the way, New Testament evangelism done the New Testament way does not take long to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as you win someone to Christ, disciple them, and they win someone, and they uh, disciple them, and they win someone, and they disi- and on and on it goes. I believe it put a dent into the devil's plans. I believe, and actually we find uh, that uh, because of the work of the Apostle Paul, uh, that it caused a hiccup there at the great temple of Diana, the Ephesian goddess to such a degree that they were ready to kill Paul over it. You you see, the craftsmen in that area, they would make uh, little silver uh, idols, little silver shrines to this uh, pagan goddess Diana uh, of the uh, Ephesians. And because Paul was winning so many people to Christ, it was beginning to cut into their margins. Let me tell you, when a church is making a difference, we can do all the lobbying in the world. Listen carefully. We can do all the lobbying in the world to shut down the saloons and the bars. We'd do a lot better if we'd win the bartender to Christ. We can do all that. And I believe, friend, I believe in uh, trying to provide for a good and safe environment in our country. I believe in taking the political measures and means. I believe that we ought to do the things that we can do to affect some kind of difference. But there's no greater plan for the changing of a life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It ought to be. It ought to be uh, that people know where Wall Ridge Baptist Church is and what Wall Ridge Baptist Church is. 
because of the word of God being sounded forth from it. We see because of his proclamation uh, of the word of God. Let me give you one final thing. I'm going to hush. I believe because of his demonstration of the power of God. Uh, it, it, it does no good to be proper if you can't have power. Amen. We can be proper all day long, but if the power of God is not on it, it. It means absolutely nothing. Paul was a man that had the power of God upon his life. Now, the power that's described here in Acts chapter number 19, I think there needs to be a little bit of clarification. The Bible says uh, that the power of God was upon Paul and uh, special miracles uh, from God were wrought by his hands. The Bible says that they would take uh, aprons and handkerchiefs and they would go and lay them upon the bodies of people that were sick. And whenever they would do that, these people would be made whole and that they would be healed. You say, preacher, do you have a problem with that? No, I don't have a problem with that. I know that there's a lot of uh, foolish people on the television trying to sell you their suit and their snot and their bottles, this, that, and the other. And I believe that's straight out of hell. But what's described here in the book of Acts, I got no problem with that because the Bible explains what it is. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2 and verses 3 and 4, listen carefully. It says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. So this is talking about salvation uh, by grace through faith. It's talking about the church age and the dispensation of grace. Uh, our Lord, after He resurrected from uh, the dead, uh, He sent the disciples out in the Great Commission. It began to be spoken by our Lord and was confirmed, listen carefully, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. That's important. By them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers or different various miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Uh, Paul was what we call an apostle. You say, well, I don't know about that. He wasn't with the original 12. Well, he called himself an apostle and he said his apostleship was vindicated by God. So I'm not going to argue with him. Uh, What do you know about Matthias? Anybody? No, I didn't think you knew anything about Matthias. He was the man that was chosen to take uh, Judas's lot. And uh, you don't know a thing about Matthias, but you know the Apostle Paul wrote 14 books in the New Testament, did more for New Testament missions than every missionary probably that's ever lived since then combined. Uh, so Paul was an apostle. And uh, the other 11 were known as apostles and disciples. You say, what's the difference? A disciple was one of the people that followed Jesus Christ. You could choose to become a disciple. But an apostle was an appointed position, appointed only by God for an express purpose in the establishing of the New Testament church and in the spreading of the gospel. An apostle had to be someone that had heard him, the Bible says. The Bible says that an apostle also had to have seen him after his resurrection. Paul fit both these qualifications. He uh, saw the Lord as one born out of due time. He was not born again when our Lord was walking this earth in his earthly ministry, but still as yet. And by the way, he was the last person to hear from him audibly and to see him visibly because he said he was seen last of all of me. You say, I don't know about that preacher. Well, you can believe whatever you want, but the Bible says he was seen last of all. And so the Apostle Paul had seen the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He had heard the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus after our Lord had resurrected. And so these apostles were uh, were tasked about with the preaching of the gospel, uh, with the establishing of churches. And the Bible says that God allowed them to have diverse signs and wonders so that people would see the reality and validity and authenticity of their message. You say, do we have that today, preacher? No, we don't have that today because we've got the Word of God. It's been validated. It's been authenticated. I mean, hey, neighbor, if you can look at that Bible and what it's done in the lives of those around you and in the lives of Christians for hundreds of years, if you can look at that and not see God on it, you've got to be blind. 
We don't need any of these. That's why if some fool up in uh, La Follette wants to grab hold of a rattlesnake and get on TV for it, that's his business. But that doesn't mean it's of God. Amen? Uh, the Bible teaches uh, that these signs and wonders have been done away with. They're no longer in existence in this day that we live in. And so you saw all sorts of special miracles through the Word of God. In Acts chapter number 5, uh, the Bible says that uh, when Peter would pass by, people that his shadow would pass over would be healed. That's a special miracle. The Bible says in uh, Acts chapter... Oh, let me see. I've got it written down here. I believe it's Acts chapter uh, number 20. Uh, the Bible talks about the raising uh, of a young man that had fallen out of a window. Uh, sometimes I read this passage just to encourage myself. Amen. Because Paul was preaching one night and he got long-winded. This long-winded thing is not a new thing. Somebody say amen right there. You say, by the time you get done, it won't be a new thing. <laughs> but Paul was preaching one night. And, uh, the Bible says that there was a man uh, that was up in the third loft and he fell asleep. Hey, if they can fall asleep on the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to grieve if you fall asleep on me. But they had fallen asleep. And uh, this young man had fallen out of the window, out of the third loft, fell, broke his neck, and died. Uh, the Bible says that this man's name was Eutychus. You say, how do you remember a name like Eutychus? Well, you'd have cussed too if you'd fell out of the third floor and broke your neck. Paul went down, raised him up from the dead. That was a special miracle that was done. That's not something uh, that can be done today. That was something that was... By the way, uh, those that believe in signs following, quote-unquote, those that, uh, pre, uh, that claim that they can handle snakes without being hurt and that they can uh, drink poison without being hurt, I've never seen a one of them raise someone from the dead. Amen? And that goes right along with all those signs that the book of Mark speaks about. But there were several miracles. I'll give you one more. Uh, Paul in Melita was bitten by a serpent. And the Bible says that instead of that serpent doing many harm, he just shook it off. Acts chapter number 28. He just shook it off. These were special miracles that were performed. But do you know that it doesn't change the fact that Paul had the power of God on his life? Paul had the power of God, not just in these special miracles, but in, in many different ways. Do you know that today, even though we do not need to do these special miracles, and we couldn't do them even if we wanted to, that we can still have the power of God upon our lives to accomplish His will and to be to His glory. Paul spoke about this, and I'm just going to read you a few verses here and we'll close. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to these verses when Paul speaks about the power of God and about His ministry. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My preaching, uh, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Uh, Paul speaks about the power of God in his life, that it was not something that was evidenced by natural ability or natural uh, wherewithal, but it was something that was uniquely of God. Do you know the power of God is always that way in a man's life? It, it, it's not the, listen, if it does not uplift Jesus Christ, it's not the power of God. Uh, it may build an empire. It may get a lot of followers. It may get on the TV. It may pack out arenas. But if it doesn't uplift Jesus Christ, it's not the power of God. If it doesn't change lives for the glory of God, it's not the power of God. By the way, it can be as small as you want it to be, but if it doesn't uplift Jesus Christ, it's not God's power. It can be as big as you want. It doesn't matter. The acid test is, do we decrease and does He increase? 
Paul's life had the power of God on it. And I think that's evident because of a few different things. I want you to notice his power uh, was for the sending forth of the gospel. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, the whole reason God gave me power in my life was so that I could give the gospel out, so that I could establish churches, so that I could be a witness. If you ain't going to do anything with the power, God's not going to give it to you. You listen to me? I mean, if you've already made up your mind that you're not going to be a witness to people, God's never going to endow you with uh, power to be able to be a witness to people. God's not going to waste His power in that manner. It was for the sending forth of the gospel. But let me say not only that, but it was supplied by grace. He said the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It was supernatural. Paul, we tend to think of Paul as a great orator. And, and I'm sure in some ways he was. But you know, I think when Paul did the greatest works for God, it was when he was in fear and trembling and in much weakness. That's always how it is. I mean, you can, you can do it and get all the glory yourself and get a lot of people to holler and whoop and pat you on the back. Or you can do it and let God have the glory and it be something that matters and that lasts. And then I would say, because of that, it surrenders the glory. It surrenders the glory. He said that your faith might not be in me, not be in my words, not be in my wisdom, but that it might be in the power of God. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of us just treading water in our spiritual walk. And you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, you know, preacher, I've heard what you said this morning and it sounds appealing. I, I, I would like to know what it is to be a victorious Christian, to move ahead. I want to be the type of person that makes a difference for Jesus Christ. I want to be a type of person. The devil knows who I am because I'm a threat to him. I commend that to you. Do you know where it starts? It starts by surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first step. Uh, before anything else, it was his association with God that caused the devil to know who he was. If you're not even saved, you're not at all associated with him. But let me say, if you're already saved and you're not spending time with him like you should, do you know it begins? It begins at an old-fashioned altar, surrendering your heart and life to him and saying, Lord, I just want you to take control of me. I wonder how you'd evaluate your spiritual impact. I wonder how you would evaluate. I wonder, do you really think the devil would know who you are? I hope that the devil would know who Toby Weber is. One day I know I'll find out for sure. I hope that he, it sure feels like he knows where to find me. Amen. But I know this. I know that it's in my best interest and it's for God's glory if I'm willing to fight that battle and take a stand for Jesus Christ.